This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. X-1 is an American half-hour science fiction radio drama series that was broadcast from April 24th of 55 to January of 1958 in various time slots on NBC. Known for high production values in adapting stories from the leading American authors of the era, X-1 has been described as one of the finest offerings of American radio drama and one of the best science fiction series in any medium. Many of the stories were adaptations by NBC staff writers. Time and time again is tonight's episode. A soldier from the future, in this case 1975, is hit by a bomb and sent 30 years back into the past. A critically injured military officer clings to life and suddenly finds himself back in his hometown of 1945 and sets out to change the past and the future. In just a moment, X minus one. But first, when you hear the hearty laugh and familiar voice of the great Gildersleep tomorrow night, you know you're in for some hilarious adventures. Because whenever Gildy is around, somehow things never seem to go as planned. It might be his impulsive nature, or maybe it's his incurable weakness for the fairest sex, but whatever it is, the great Gildersleeve is bound to keep you laughing for a full 25 minutes. Tune in tomorrow night and meet Judge Hooker, Nephew Leroy, Housekeeper Birdie, and all the rest of the friendly people from Summerfield as they join the Great Gildersleeve. Now stay tuned for X-1 on NBC. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, Time and Time Again, by H. Beam Piper. It happened during a routine skirmish in the Great War. Patrols advanced from the defense perimeter under jet cover and preceded by napalm throwers. 
The enemy defended in depth and mopped up with guided 98s fired from 40 miles to the rear. The blast area was 10 miles in circumference, and the medics didn't find much to pick up over 500 yards in. Come on, Travers, get those men out. Yes, sir. Get a move on. Line them up. Come on. Easy, easy. You want to kill them? Okay, take it away. Uh, I might have left those Joes where they was. Half of them won't last till the plane comes. As long as they're alive, they'll be treated. Get those tags out, Travers. Start taking names. Yes, sir. This one must have been a thousand yards in. Get his dog tag out. What a mess. Here. Hartley Allen, Captain G-5, Chem Research, AN-73D. Number SO-23869-403-J. Hartley? Allen Hartley. Oh. That must be the Hartley that wrote uh, Children of the Mist and Conker's Road. Never heard of him. Major. Major, I think maybe he's partly conscious. Had I better give him another shot? Go ahead, Sergeant. There isn't much else we can do for him. It's a rotten shame. Yeah, ain't it always. Okay, Captain, let me have that arm. There. Oh, God. Tom. Tom. Uh. Get up, Alan. Can't stay in bed all day. I remember that. Clear as if it were real. Up and at him. Hit the deck. Remarkably vivid. It's strange. Alan, are you all right? I'm all right. What's wrong with my voice? Ah. Uh. Ah. Uh. It's too high. What are you doing? Practicing singing? My voice has changed. <laughs> Is that all? You're growing up. Happy birthday. H- happy birthday? Hey, wake up, son. Wake up. I am awake. It's impossible. I, I am awake. Well, the way you slept through that alarm, I'd say it was impossible. Come on, out of bed. I don't understand. You went to bed at a decent hour. You could wake up the next morning. Come on, son. Breakfast waiting. Out of bed or I'll turn it over. All right, all right. It's a dream. Maybe. But you're wide awake now. I am. I'm awake. Well, half awake anyway. That's the bell at St. Boniface, isn't it? What, what day is it? Are you kidding? You forget today's your birthday? No, no. No, I, I didn't forget. Neither did I. Here, son. Happy 13th birthday. <laughs> you won't guess what's in here. A rifle. A light twenty-two rifle. Oh. Oh, now, how did you know that? I remember it. Did I spill the beans sometime? Oh, I could have sworn it would be a surprise. Well, go on, open it. You like it? Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect, Dad. I will have to lay down rules about using it, and I'll have to teach you how to operate it. I don't believe in letting a boy handle a gun until he really knows how. If I let you play with that thing before I teach you about guns, you'd blow your head off. I suppose so. I'll be shaving, Alan. Come down to breakfast when you're ready. Well, it's a big day today. You're almost a man. 
Almost. Well, you're still groggy. Snap out of it, Alan. I, I will. It, it's a dream in it somewhere, but I'm not sure which. What? Ne- ne- never mind, Dad. I'll be right down for breakfast. <laughs> going to do today, son? Well, I want to do some reading this morning, I oh, guess. That's always a good thing to do. After breakfast, suppose you take a walk down to the station and get me a Times. Didn't it come? What, the Times? Well, they don't deliver. <laughs> Be a good idea, though. Maybe I'll talk to Sam Ashburn about it. Here's a half dollar, Alan. Get anything you want for yourself out of the change. Thanks, Dad. Uh, finish your milk before you go. Uh, <laughs> sure, Dad. Thanks for the money. You're big enough to handle it now. Hurry back. I'd like to finish the crossword puzzle before lunch. Here you are, Alan, one times. Tell your father the puzzle's a stinker this week. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Ashburn. Look out for the trucks when you cross the highway. I'll go across Elton's lot. It's a shortcut. Elton's? <laughs> You'll have a hard time crossing there, son. There's four buildings on that block. I thought they burned down. I've seen them this morning, big as life. I guess that didn't happen yet. What'd you say? N- nothing, Mr. Ashburn. I was just muttering. Mm. My days, youngsters talked up. Yes, sir. Bye, Mr. Ashburn. Monday, August 6th, 1945. Okinawa 1. Bombing Japan. Hey! Hey, Alan! Huh? Alan, wait up. Hey, Larry Morton. Hi, Larry. Hi, Al. You going to Sunday school? No, I have some things I want to do at home. Oh, get him. Fancy pants talk. Things I want to do at home. Oh, go chase yourself around the block. Go jump in a garbage can. Go take a flying jet to the moon. Hey, that's a new one. Flying jet to the moon. You thought up a new one, Al. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I could stay home from Sunday school when I wanted to. How about us going swimming at the canoe club after? Oh, I wish I could. I gotta stay home. We're expecting company. A couple of ants of mine. Dad wants me to stay home when they come. Ants are a pain. Nothing I can do. You see the football movie at the Grand? Boy, what a team. Notre Dame. I thought you'd like Cornell. Cornell? Huh. They couldn't beat Vassar. Well, you're gonna go to Cornell, aren't you? Me, Cornell? Fat chance. I'll bet you do. I wouldn't take your money. Well, I know you wouldn't, but you'll go to Cornell, all right. Ha, Cornell. Far above Cayuga's waters, there's an awful smell. Just the same. You all go to Cornell. Larry, I, I gotta go. Well, so long, Al. I'll see you. So long, Larry. See you. Now, stuck in this corner. Seven letter word that makes him proportion. Titrate. Huh? It fits. Now, now how, how did you know that, Alan? That? Well, I read it somewhere, I guess. Oh. What you reading now? Tarzan again? No, not, not Tarzan. It's refreshing to see you with a book. Sometimes I think I ought to forbid comic books in the house. Hmm. Yeah, they must be raising the devil with those bombing raids in Japan. How long do you think the war in Japan will last, Dad? Oh? 
Hmm, I'd say to the middle of 1946. They'll have to invade those islands foot by foot. I don't think so, Dad. I wouldn't be surprised if the war was over very suddenly. How, by magic? <laughs> there isn't a thing on earth will make those Japanese surrender. You expect somebody to make a pass and it'll be all over by this afternoon? Something like that. Mm, I wish you could. A lot of boys dead in the invasion of Japan. Mr. Hartley, excuse me, please. Oh, hello, Mr. Gutchell. That's Frank Gutchell, Dad? That's right. Excuse me. I didn't mean to disturb you, Mr. Hartley. Mm, it's all right. Lovely day, isn't it, Mr. Gutchell? Uh, Mr. Hartley, the Lord's Day is always beautiful. Mm. <laughs> of course, Mr. Gutchell. Mr. Hartley, I I wonder if, uh, if you could lend me a gun and some bullets. My little dog's been hurt and it's been suffering something terrible. Oh, that's too bad. I want a gun to put the poor thing out of its pain. Of course. Uh, now, how would a 20-gauge shotgun do? You wouldn't want anything heavy. I was hoping you'd let me have a little gun. Maybe, oh, uh, so big. Pistol? So I could put it in my pocket. It wouldn't look right to carry a hunting gun on the Lord's Day. And people wouldn't understand that it was for a work of mercy. Of course, I understand. You're, you're a very religious man. The whole world is evil, Mr. Hartley. Yeah, sometimes it certainly looks like it. Well, I have a Colt 38 Special from the Auxiliary Police Outfit. Well, that's fine. Now, you've got to bring it right back, Mr. Gutchell. I might be called out. Now, you'll have to promise to get it right back. Uh, Dad, uh, uh, wait a minute. I, I just remembered. Uh, remembered what? Well, aren't there some cartridges left for the Luger? Uh, then you wouldn't be without the Colt. That's right. I have got a German automatic I could let you have. That way I wouldn't get stuck. You'd have to return it promptly, though. Oh, wait, Dad, I'll get it. I know where the cartridge is. Be careful, are. son. Well, Mr. Gutchell, it sure turned out nice. Hello, police headquarters. This is Blake Hartley. Frank Gutchell, who lives on Campbell Street, has just borrowed a gun from me, ostensibly to shoot a dog. What? No, he has no dog. He intends shooting his wife. Now, listen, he'll walk home. If you hurry, you can get a man there on time. What? No, but I wish you'd get my pistol back to me. It's from the First World War. All right, all right, then you'll take care of it. Goodbye. There you are. What kept you, Alan? Well, I couldn't find the cartridges at first. I'll show Mr. Gutchell how it works, it's all loaded, ready to shoot. This is the safety. Just push it forward and up. There are eight shots in it. Did you load the chamber, Ellen? Sure. It's on safe now. You understand how it works, Mr. Gutchell? Oh, yes. Yes, I understand. Thank you, Mr. Hartley. Thank you, Sonny. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Gutchell. Return the gun when you're done. Yes, I'll be done with it soon. Goodbye. Ellen, we shouldn't have loaded that gun. <sighs> I guess it's all over now. I had to keep you from fooling with it. I didn't want you to see I took out the firing pin. You what? Gutchell didn't want that gun to shoot a dog. He's a fanatic. He sees visions, hears voices. The voices probably put him up to this. Well, I'll submit that any man who holds intimate conversations with disembodied spirits isn't to be trusted with a gun. What are you talking about? While I was at it, I called the police upstairs. I put a handkerchief over my mouth and told them I was you. You? Why did you have to do that? I couldn't have told him this is little Alan Hartley, 13 years old. Then suppose he really wants to shoot a dog. What kind of a mess will I be in then? No mess. If I'm wrong, which I'm not, I'll take the rap for it. Dumb kid trick, you know. But if I'm right, you'll have to front for me. 
They'd give me a lot of cheap boy hero publicity, which I don't want. This is crazy, Alan. This is absolutely crazy. Maybe. We'll have the complete returns in 20 minutes. Mr. Hartley? Mr. Blake Hartley? That's right. I'm Detective Sergeant Kaborski from Homicide. Here's your Luger. Thank you. I don't know how you spotted that guy, but when we busted in, he was pointing that gun at his wife and swearing a blue streak because it wouldn't go off. I'm, uh... I'm glad I was able to help. You know, they may even have some kind of a citation for you, Mr. Hartley. I, I, I don't think that's necessary. In the department, we figure a little publicity never hurt nobody. Even a lawyer, huh? I really would prefer it if it were kept quiet. Well, whatever you say. Uh, we'll want you to drop around in the morning for a statement. I'll be glad to. Well, goodbye. Goodbye, Sonny. Uh, goodbye, goodbye, Sergeant. Sergeant. Uh, Why don't you take the citation, Dad? Well, you were right. You saved that woman's life. Now, let's see you put back the firing pin. Sure. There. All right, Alan. Suppose we have a little talk. I explained everything. You did not. Yesterday, you wouldn't even have known how to take this pistol apart. Today, you've been using language and expressing ideas that are outside of everything you've ever known before. Now, I want to know... I hope you're not toying with the medieval notion of obsession. What? Well, you say I'm changed. When did you first notice this? Last night, you were still my little boy. This morning, I don't know. You've been strange all day. There's been something. Alan, what's happened to you? I wish I could be sure of myself, Dad. You see, when I woke this morning, I hadn't the least recollection of anything I'd done yesterday, August 4th, 1945. Oh, that's serious. You don't know how serious. My last memory was lying on a stretcher, injured by a bomb explosion. I was 43 years old, and the year was 1975. 1975? That's right, you'll be 43 in 1975, but, but... But a bomb? Yes. During the siege of Buffalo in the Third World War... I was a captain in G5, Scientific Warfare, General Staff. Buffalo? You mean Buffalo, New York? There'd been a transpolar invasion of Canada. I was sent to the front to check on service failures of a new lubricating oil. A week after I got there, Ottawa fell and the retreat started. We made a stand at Buffalo and that was where I got it. I remember being picked up and getting a narcotic injection. The next thing I knew, I was in bed upstairs and it was 1945 again. And I was back in my own 13-year-old body. <laughs> Oh, Alan, you just had a nightmare to end all nightmares, that's all. I thought it might be that at first, but I rejected it. It won't fit the facts. But it's ridiculous, all this Battle of Buffalo stuff. You picked up something listening to the radio. All the commentators have been going on about another war after this one. You've just got an undigested hunk of H.V. Callan born in your subconscious, that's but all. that isn't everything. I remember four years of high school, four years at Cornell, seven years as a reporter on the Philadelphia Record, three novels, Children of the Mist, Rose of Death, Conqueror's Road. You think a 13-year-old can dream up all that stuff? But it's the only possible explanation. Maybe, but I can speak five languages today that I couldn't yesterday. French, German, Chinese, Russian, and a little Spanish. Although I've got a Mexican accent you could cut with a knife. But, but how did it happen? I, Alan, I, I can't believe it. All I know is here I am. I, I, I've been reading up on time theories. Nobody seems to know much about them. 
Evidently, time exists parallel as another dimension, and I got kicked backwards along it. But how? It may have been the radiations from the bomb or the narcotic injection, or both together. But the fact remains, I'm here with full knowledge of my future identity. This... This is quite a shock, Ellen. But you do believe me, don't you? Yes, I suppose I must. You seem so strange, as if you weren't my son. I'm your son, all right. Same body as yesterday. I I've just had an educational shortcut. <sighs> Wait a minute. If you can remember the next 30 years, suppose you tell me when the war is going to end. This one against the Japs, I mean. Oh, sure. Well, the Japanese surrender will be announced at exactly 7.01 p.m. on August 14th. That's a week from Tuesday. A week from Tuesday. You better make sure we have plenty of grub in the house by then. Everything will be closed up tight till Thursday morning, even the restaurants. I remember we had nothing to eat in the house but some scraps. A week from Tuesday. Well, that's pretty sudden, isn't it? Not after today. What do you mean? What happened today? Oh, plenty. Uh, well, what time is it, Dad? That's hmm? 11.16. Is your watch right? Well, to the seconds, why? Well, it'll come at exactly 11.17.40. What'll come? The radio announcement. What are you getting at? Something important on the radio? Well, we'll see. Well, don't bother, Dad. It won't work. I remember we had a tube burned out. Well, there is something wrong. When is this announcement of yours? Now I remember it. I, I memorized it in journalism school in 1954. What, what time is it? 11, 18 o'clock. Breaking into the program now. President Truman has just announced that an atomic bomb has been dropped on the Japanese industrial city of Hiroshima. The bomb was dropped 16 hours ago, and the announcement was delayed to ascertain the results of the explosion. A man named John Howard Peterson read that announcement from the Washington newsroom with NBC. I... I don't believe it. No? Well, listen. But... That's the Burke Platt factory whistle. And the bells of St. Boniface. Now, next, the whistle at the volunteer firehouse. You like? Then it's true. It's true. Sure. Then Larry Morton came by on his bicycle. Hey, 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 Al. Al, you hear? You hear about the bomb? An atomic bomb. Yeah, we heard. Boy, atomic bomb. Oh, boy. I gotta go find my poppies on the golf course. Bye, Al. Bye, Mr. Hartley. You knew. You knew about it. The next bomb hits Nagasaki. I thought that stuff about atomic energy was so much fantasy. Was it? Was that the kind of bomb that got you? Oh, that was a firecracker to the one that got me. It was a guided 98, exploded 10 miles away. And that's going to happen in 30 years? I remember it. How about... Well, uh... How about me? Oh, wait, wait. Never mind. I don't think I'd better know when I'm going to die. I couldn't tell you anyway. I had a letter from you just before I left for the front. You were 78 then, and you were still hunting and fishing and flying your own plane. But another war, and fought on American soil. Oh, Ellen, I wish this hadn't happened to you. It happened. I remember it. But if I can help it, I'm not going to get killed in any battle of Buffalo. But if you remember it, if time exists as a parallel dimension, then every tick we're getting closer to that Third World War. Dad, you know what I remembered when Gutchell came to borrow that gun? No, I suppose that you suspected him and warned me. No, 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 that wasn't it. The other time, the first time, when I was really 13, I wasn't home. I'd been swimming at the canoe club with Larry Morton. When I got home about a half an hour from now, I found the house full of cops. But if the gun didn't fire... What makes you think it didn't? Gutchell talked the 38 out of you. He went home, 
Shot his wife four times in the body, once behind the ear, and used the sixth shot to blow his own brains out. That's what you remember? Yes. The cops traced the gun. They took a very poor view of your lending it to him. You never got it back. But here it is. No, not the way I remember it. But I didn't want you in trouble, so I warned you. Dad, I found out the future can be changed. <laughs> One man can't change the whole future. I stopped a murder and a suicide. I know, but... With 30 years to work, I can stop a world war. I'll have the means, too. The means? Unlimited wealth and influence. I've got a good memory, Dad. I wrote a list out this afternoon. Salt, jet pilot, citation, ponder, middle ground. What is this, a code? Horses. That's a list of Kentucky Derby winners from 1946 to 1970. Huh? You sure? I learned that list on a bet at the Officers Club in Cincinnati in 1971. Assault paid 8 to 1. You figure out what we can take in. But gambling. Oh, this isn't gambling. It's a sure thing. When we get rolling, we'll make the Rockefellers look like pikers. Hmm. Assault at 8 to 1. Mm-hmm. I suppose I could scrape up $5,000. Hmm. In 10 years, that'll make a lot of money. Uh, any other little thing you have in mind, Ellen? Well, by 1952, we start building a political organization here in Pennsylvania. In uh, 1960, I think we can elect you president. President? Isn't that going a little too far? Well, why not? Who wouldn't vote for a politician who was always right? Hmm. Besides, that's the one thing we've got to change. In 1960, we had a man in the White House who was good to his wife and sang a nice tenor, and that's about all. He fouled up so completely, we ended up at war. Now, I think... President Hartley might be a little more trusted to take a strong line. But I don't know anything about international decisions. I do. I know all the wrong ones. If we can stop one murder, we can stop a war. It's worth a try, isn't it? I guess so. Hmm. Uh, how do I start? Well, as I remember, just after the bomb announcement... You got a phone call from the City Fusion Party about the next election. Yeah, there is a lot of talk about a reform ticket. Well, that call is going to be important, Dad. It's the turning point. Now, you've got to know. There it is. Well, what do I do? Well, answer it. Go ahead. But... Don't worry. I'll tell you what to do. Go ahead. Hello? Yes, this is Blake Hartley. Judge Cribbins. Yes. Uh, just a moment. Alan. Oh. He's asking me to run. Oh, my head. Alan. Oh. Alan, what's the matter? Oh. Alan! He passed out. Alan, what do I do now? Alan, listen to me! Alan! Alan, what's the matter? Captain. Captain Hartley. Captain Hartley. He was all right, Doctor. I gave him a shot and he was all right. Well, he's dead. All right, Sergeant. Make out the tag. Hartley Allen. Captain. Dead April 8th, 1975. Allen. Allen, what happened? Allen. Allen. Uh, uh. Allen, are you all right? Uh, oh. I did. I've got Judge Crimmins on the phone. What do I tell him? What? Alan, are you all right? You passed out. Sure. I'm all right. Hey, today's my birthday, isn't it? What'd you get for my birthday, huh? 
Don't you remember? The Third World War? What Third World War? Dad, what's the matter? You're looking at me funny. You don't remember. You're back again, aren't you? Back to 13 years old. Sure, I'm 13 today, for corn's sake, Dad. You must have died up there. It was only a mind transfer. That means I'm on my own. I have to do it myself without your help. Help for what? If it's the grass, I said I'd cut it tomorrow. No, no, it's not the grass. I've got to save your life, Ellen. You can't let you die that way in 1975. What are you talking about, Dad? You sound goofy. I've got to change it all by myself. Change what? Never mind, Alan. You don't know yet. Come on. Let's have lunch. Sure, Dad, but how about my present now? What'd you give me for my birthday, In huh? a minute, son. Go on in. Okay. Well, hurry up, Dad, huh? Sure. All right. Hmm. Now, where did I put that list of horses? You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you Time and Time Again, written by H. Beam Piper and adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy. Featured in the cast were Jack Grimes, Peter Fernandez, Joe DeSantis, Joseph Bell, Clark Gordon, Herm Dinkin, Dick Hamilton, and James Dukas. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Duffy's Tavern, featuring Ed Gardner as Archie, the tavern's manager. The program often featured celebrity guest stars, but always hooked them around the misadventures of Archie, who was prone to involvement in get-rich-quick schemes and romantic missteps. And how's this for a teaser? We'll find out tonight how Archie winds up owning half a horse. Hmm, I wonder which end he got. It's Duffy's Tavern, brought to you transcribed by the National Broadcasting Company, with Charlie Catter as Finnegan, Hazel Sherman as Miss Duffy, Let's be shown at the piano and starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. When Irish eyes are smiling, you're as like the morning spring. And the Hello, Duffy's Tavern, where the elite meets the Archie the manager speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. I guess you heard the good news about Rhinelander McGirt, huh? Yep, born a poor boy in humble surroundings. Came up the hard way. Nobody to give him a helping hand. And yet, he winds up being electrocuted in one of the top prisons of the country. <laughs> it just shows that we're living in a true democracy, Duffy. <clears throat> Was his family proud? Well, uh, strangely enough, uh, some of them was uh, rather shocked. Yeah. Three of them were sitting right alongside of him. 
Yeah. It was the first time in history, instead of using an electric chair, the prison had to use a sofa. <laughs> huh? Well, I'm busy cleaning up the joint, you know. It was quite a mess after the going-away party that we had for McGurk. Well, no, uh, McGurk himself wasn't here. Uh, we just drank to him, you know, and absentia. Yeah. Yeah, we just kept drinking toasts and told the lights dimmed twice. And... <laughs> then everybody cheered and went home. <laughs> well, look, I got to hang up now, Duffy. As I say, I'm working hard getting the place cleaned up. Oh, yes, I'm working very hard. Okay, Fats, you shuffle and I'll deal. Excuse me. What? What, Duffy? What do you mean I never do no work around here? I love your audacity. Who cleans out the joint? Who cooks the food? Who waits on the customers? Who does all the dirty work? I know, but who tells Fats to do it? Huh? Ah, go soak your head. Ah, that duffy. I worked my fingers to the grindstone. What do I get? Nothing but retribution. I'm sick of it. Work, 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 work. Okay, Fats, I got two pairs. <laughs> Three of a kind. You win. Work, work, work. Why do I work so hard? Look at me. I'm down to a skeleton. Look at how my chest has shrank. It ain't shrank. It's just going to pot. <laughs> Look, it just happens that I'm wearing a fat apron. Mr. Archie, if people lost wake waking, yeah. you'd look like Man Mountain Dean. <laughs> just a minute. Are you inferring that I ain't laborious? I'm only saying you spend so much time watching the clock that when we went off daylight savings, you had to set your eyes back one hour. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll prove to you that I lost weight on this job. Here, I'll show you on the weighing machine. Hey, wait a minute, Fats. Look on the back of this card. It's got me fortune. It says, today will be your lucky day. Mr. Archer, you ain't gonna believe that little card. Oh, no? See, me luck has started already. Look, I got me penny back. What's so lucky about that? I put in a slug. <laughs> yes, sir, Fats. There's a, a time in the affairs of the tide of men when the flood of the gate leads on to fortune. And, oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Probably the Irish sweepstakes calling. <clears throat> Just hope I don't get nervous in the newsreels. <laughs> Hello, Faith and Begara. Huh? Who's this? Oh. Who is it? Chin Lee. <laughs> you know, from the laundry. Uh, <clears throat> tell me, uh, what can I do for you, CL? <laughs> what? Well, that's swell. Okay, uh, well, I'll, I'll be seeing you, Lathan Bligler. <laughs> More good luck? Yep, it's uncanny, Fats. The laundry lost me shape. <laughs> That is good luck. Yeah. Yeah, so instead of a shirt, Chin Lee's gonna give me 25 cents in cash. <laughs> 25 cents for a shirt? I told him I bought it new. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, that fortune-telling card was right. Ain't it a funny thing the way some days is lucky and other days is jinxes? Like the time that Tim Hannigan walked under that ladder. 
Bad luck? Bad. That's the day that Tim Hannigan walked onto that ladder. He was young, healthy, strong, full of life. And then? Three days later, they found him married. <laughs> and look at Rhinelander McGurk. <clears throat> you mean the guy that was electrocuted? Yeah, even he had a touch of bad luck. Uh, oh, I... Oh, hello, Finny, and how are you? Oh, I'm busy working, though. Busy working? Oh, see, uh, yeah. yeah. I got a job for the holidays running the elevator at Messi. Well, you're running the elevator, and how come you're here? I've been grounded. <laughs> Yeah. Too bad. What happened? Your, your brain leak at high altitudes? Oh, no. It's all because of a slight misunderstanding. Misunderstanding, huh? Yeah, you see, I thought Macy's had two basements. But they haven't. They have now. You mean... I drove that elevator 20 feet below the ground. Well, after you did that, then what did you do? Oh, don't worry. I, I kept me with you, Bobby. You did, huh? Oh, yeah. I nonchalantly opened the door, turned to the passengers, and I said, Step up, please. <laughs> Real quick thinking, Finnegan. Tell me, how did you get this job with me? How did I get it? I had experience. You remember in Chicago at the stockyard? I used to run that outdoor elevator. Oh, and the experience helped you at Macy's. Huh? No, it's in fact, it hurt me. It got me into trouble. How? Well, in the stockyards, I got in the habit of slapping them in the rear to make them get out there. <laughs> And you did the same thing at Macy's? Yeah, yeah. Except that I was politer. You was politer, huh? Yeah. At Macy's, you wear gloves. <laughs> how diplomatic. Well, how do you... Do you like the job, or Oh, it's all right. Except that some people are so impossible. They're, they're always complaining. Like yesterday... The same started complaining that she couldn't breathe in the elevator. Why couldn't she breathe? I had a nose caught in the door. <laughs> well, didn't she tell you that her nose was caught in the door? Yeah, but I thought she always talked that way. <laughs> thought it might be Rudy Valley's mother. What people you have to put up with. <laughs> oh, it's what? Today, another dame comes in and she says, Operator, I'd like to change this Skype. So I says, Not in my elevator, you don't. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm glad you got a job, Finnegan. And by the way, today is my lucky day, too, you know. Your lucky day? How do you know? Well, I, this little card from the weighing machine. It's a lucky omen. Oh, you believe in them lucky omens? Well, certainly, don't you? No, I don't. Take my uncle, for instance. He's got two rabbit's feet, and they brought him nothing but trouble. Two rabbit's feet, and they brought him trouble? Why? 
Well, he can't find a pair of shoes that'll fit him. Finnegan, tell me, why don't you go and find a mind reader and bet him that he can't? Oh, that's a good suggestion, Art. It appeals to my sporting blood. Good. Well, I'll be seeing you. Hey, hey, McCuffey, what's the matter with you? What are you, what are you looking so excited about? Oh, didn't you hear what just happened at our house? What? Papa was shaving and the razor slipped. This is me lucky day. <laughs> he was shaving, huh? Tell me, how's he getting along? Oh, fine, but Mama's feeling awful weak. How come your mother's feeling weak? Well, who do you think he was shaving? <laughs> Well, maybe I ain't so lucky after all <clears throat> What do you mean? Well, one of them weighing machine cars, you know Says that today is gonna be my lucky day Oh, those weighing machine cards I got on a scale the other day And you know what the card said? In your case, it probably said Deposit another penny, please Your 200 pounds is up Archie, I don't weigh 200 pounds And for your information I have weighed as little as 110 but you was four years old at the time. <laughs> and what else did the card say? Uh, any predictions? Yeah, it said, prepare for romance. Ere the night is over, your lips will be burning. What happened? Somebody set fire to your mustache? <laughs> I don't believe in those cards. Before the night was over, Rodney Haybinder had proposed. Well? To the girl next door. <laughs> well, at least you was close. <clears throat> I should have suspected it those nights when the three of us were sitting in the hammock. Why? His feet were always in my lap. <laughs> I thought, you know, I, I thought I should take what I could get. Yeah, I see. Uh, well, Mr. Archie. Yeah, Fats. Special delivery letter for you. Let me have it. Hey, it's from Sing Sing. It's from Rhineland and McGay. How do you know? Part of the envelope is singed. <laughs> Probably wrote it on his death seat. Let us take a look at it. Hey, hey, Fats. It's his will. It says, to whom it may concern. Crime don't pay. I hereby leave six million dollars to me old buddies in the New York Police Department. <laughs> And to me old pal Archie, I bequeath one half interest in me racehorse, Stumblebum. Did you hear that, Miss Duffy? I inherited a half a racehorse. I told you this was me lucky day. Oh, what else does the letter say? Well, let me see. P.S. In case I break out of this place, you'll be seeing me in person. Signed, Ryan Lana McGurk. P.P.S. He didn't. <laughs> You won't. Sign the warden. Boy, that weighing machine was right. Look at me. The, the bona fide owner of a half of a racehorse. Hey, Fats, quick. Uh, get me some sugar cubes and a bale of hay. Why? What do you mean, why? Maybe you haven't got the half that eats. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's... Oh, no, Rylander wouldn't do that to me, his old pal. He... He knows how I always like to look a gift horse in the mouth. Well, gang, this calls for a real celebration. It's me lucky day. Miss Duffy, get out the champagne. Fat some music, please, while 
Everybody drinks a toast to Archie. The half-horse racetrack tycoon. <laughs> I'm afraid to love you, afraid I might like it. I'm afraid to hold you, afraid I might like it. When your lips invite me to steal a kiss or two, I'm tempted, but I never follow through. I'm afraid you'll thrill me, thrill me that you. What's another heart or two? I just like a stranger It's because I sense the danger I'm afraid to love you I'm afraid I do up his end. <laughs> no, it costs a lot of money to keep up a horse. I wonder how it could be. Well, I don't know who the guy is, but when we put the horse on a big race, I hope that his half won't be dragging. <laughs> Mr. Archie, hmm? do you know anything about horse racing? Are you kidding? That I was born with the smell of a saddle. <laughs> and Horse flesh in my veins. I, you know, I learned to ride when I was a kid only five years old. And in fact, the rest of the kids in the neighborhood used to call me Archie the Jock. How do you spell that? What do you mean, how do you spell it? They spelled it J-O-K-E-Y, Jockey. Yes, sir. Day after day, I used to race my own little pony. Hour after hour, I'd sit in the saddle till my little pants was worn thin. Did you ever win? Well, not every time, but I always managed to show. <laughs> but what am I doing wasting me words here? I better get me stable organized. Uh, Finnegan? Uh, yeah. Are you a lover of horse flesh? Well, frankly, Arch, I prefer salami. 
Finnegan, I'm talking about racehorses. Oh, oh, uh, racehorses. Yeah. You know what? I, I own one once. How'd you ever own a racehorse? Well, it was a funny thing. I was out at the racetrack one day, so this horse leans over the fence and he says, Hey, Finnegan, how'd you like to buy a good horse cheap? Now, just a minute. You mean a horse leaned over the fence and talked to you? What's so strange about that? It was a very low fence. Boy, but you know, he, he sure was a fast horse. Fast horse, huh? <clears throat> was you the jockey? No, the jockey was my sister. <laughs> Where did your sister ever learn to ride a horse? Oh, she you know, that uh, race track down in Florida. Race in Florida? Uh, uh, widen her handicap? Archie, it widened her all over. <laughs> Now, stop bothering with these nonsensicals, Finnegan. I'm trying to get this table of mine organized. Now, uh, let me see here. Where can I find a groom? Believe me, it ain't easy. <laughs> I believe you. <clears throat> but I happen to be talking about a groom for me racehorse. Oh, uh, by the way, Archie, you know, after the race, they always have a pretty girl standing in the winner's circle. Mm-hmm. So? Well, uh, maybe if your horse wins, I could stand next to him. Yeah, but how would the judges know which neck to hang the race on? <laughs> <laughs> Archie? He's in the back room looking at the racing for him. Oh. Say, is it true that Arch owns one half of this horse? Yeah. And some other guy owns the other half? Well, that's right. Well, what part does the horse own? I guess no part. This sort of thing couldn't happen if Abraham Lincoln was alive. <laughs> Hello, Duffy Tavern. Oh, it's you, Papa. Where's Lame Brain? He's in the back room looking at the racing form. What, Papa? Oh, well, that's nice. You're sending over 300 pounds of beef? All right. We'll put it in the icebox. Finnegan, fast. Uh, Papa's sending over 300 pounds of beef for a party in the memory of his dear friend, Rhinelander McGurk. When it gets here, put it right in the icebox, will you? Gee, that's nice of Mr. Duffy. 300 pounds of beef. By the way... What? You sure he'd send it over your mother? <laughs> That's for your information. Mama only weighs 298. She lost 15 pounds last summer up in Saratoga. <laughs> okay, Miss Duffy. We'll put the side of beef in the icebox. Eh? Now, let me look at this racing. <laughs> Wait till Archie finds out about this. Uh, shall we bring it through the back door or the front door? Huh? What do you know? It's surprising me. They're bringing me little horse to the tavern. <laughs> but suppose it's too big to get through the door. Well, there's only one thing to do. What? We can slice one piece off of one side. These butchers. Slicing a piece off my poor little horse. I-, I got a better idea. What's that? Why don't we saw it right down the middle? <laughs> the fiends. No, no. The, I think we should leave it in one piece. At least Finnegan loves horses. And then barbecue it. 
Lousy cannibal. I just hope it won't be too tough. What are you talking tough? He's a sweet little animal. I know it. Well, if it's too tough, I suppose we can club it for a few hours. I'll report this to the CPA. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I disagree with the whole procedure. I don't think it should be clubbed at all. Nice going, Finnegan. I think we should cut it up into little pieces and make hamburgers. Now, wait a minute, Finnegan. I've been listening to this conversation. It's gone far enough. What a lousy way to treat a poor little horse. A horse? Yeah. We were talking about a side of beef. Oh. Papa's sending it down here because he's given a party in memorial of Rhinelander McGurk. Oh, oh, well, that's different. And I'm sure McGurk will appreciate it. You know, he's a great lover of roast beef. Now, uh, <clears throat> let me finish reading this racing form. Hey, wait a minute. Holy cat, this is me lucky day. What do you mean? Me horse, Dumblebum. He's running today. <laughs> where, where? Down south. You know, the wealthier horses always go south for the winter. <clears throat> oh, yeah? Say, say, look, Arch. He must be a great horse. Why? The odds are a hundred to one. <laughs> now, that, that's an old trick, you know. They jack up the price to make the other horses overconfident. <laughs> Hey, who's he running against, George? Well, let's see here. Third race, Harry Boy. Slow starter, but can win. Susie Q, startled the clock as at Pimlico. Great in the stretch. Whirlwind, never looked in better shape. One last six starts. Knockout drop. Cinch to win on dry track. And stumble bump. What's it say about him? Good to his mother. <laughs> I thought this was your lucky day. It still is. Finnegan, here's two bucks. I want you to go down to Lefty's pool room and put it on me horse. Arch, what would a horse be doing in a pool room? <laughs> the horse ain't in a pool room. The bookie's in a pool room. Now get going. Uh, but I... Come on, get in your stirrup. I, I just want to see if I got it straight. Okay. So I go down to Lefty's and shoot a game of pool with a horse named Get in Your Stirrup. No, no, Finnegan. Bet two bucks on a horse called Stumblebum. Who? That horse that you own half of. Yeah, put two bucks on his nose. Suppose you own the other half. <laughs> okay, put two bucks on that, too. <clears throat> Maybe he'll back in. <laughs> this is my lucky... Hi, Lord. Oh, you're back, Finnegan? Yeah, say, uh, uh, are you sure you got a horse? Of course, why? Guys down the bookie joint say you got a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's on account of he's been scratched so often they think he's got fleas. <laughs> uh, did you put down the bet? Just like you told me. Is he still 100 to 1? Oh, better than that, Arch. Better than that? Yeah, he's 200 to 1. <laughs> oh, Bucks at 200 to 1, that's almost $298. <laughs> hey, this is me, Lucky Day. Fat, turn on the radio quick. I want to hear the results. Okay, Lucky. And here are the horses coming out of the paddock for the third race. Whirlwind is leading the field with Stumblebum second. Attaboy, Stumblebum, stay in there. Archie. Come on, pass that Whirlwind. Archie. Come on, Stumblebum. Archie. What? The race hasn't started yet. Oh, just a minute, folks. There seems to be some delay. 
two officials are coming out on the track with a large bale of hay with 25 candles on it. They're taking it over to Stumblebum. <laughs> yes, boss, it's Stumblebum's 25th birthday. <laughs> oh, you know, it's my horse's birthday. Mazel tov. <laughs> Thank you. To say the least, folks, this Stumblebum is no man of war. Ain't that wonderful? He's comparing him to the greatest horse that ever lived. And now the horses are lined up at the starting gate. And just a minute. Stumblebum seems to be down on one knee. Probably gonna start from a crouching position. <laughs> it's all right, folks. He's up now. And there they go. Out in front, it's final win by two lengths. Susie Q is second by a length and a half. Followed by Harry Boy. Reese Quick and Speed King. Where's Stumblebum? Stumblebum is now leading the post. What? <laughs> well, what do you know? Stumblebum is now running away from the field. Atta boy, Stumblebum. Only he's running in the wrong direction. <laughs> Maybe Stumblebum is a mutter. Does he have to pick a time like this? <laughs> Coming out of the corner turn is whirlwind by a length. Where is quick and speed king? Whirlwind, Stumblebum, Stumblebum is on the rail. On the rail? Get back on the track. <laughs> and here they are. Now the stretch it's whirlwind by a length. Harry boy, breeze quick, and here comes Stumblebum. Come on, Stumblebum. Come on, Stumblebum. Come on, Stumblebum. Come on, whirlwind. <laughs> Finnegan, what's the idea? I just wanted to break the monotony. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Stumblebum, make it a real lucky day for me. This Stumblebum is sensational. The way he's running, you think he was a horse. <laughs> His two orders must be mighty proud of him today. And now as they near the finish line, it's Stumblebum by one length. Stumblebum by two lengths, three lengths, and now, flash! Stumblebum will hit the headlines in every paper in the country. What happened? He just dropped dead. <laughs> what? The winner is Whirlwind! Holy cat! I lost the race, I lost me horse. I guess this just ain't me lucky day. Yes, folks, this is a tough break for Archie, one of the two owners of Stumblebum. You're telling me. But nothing compared to the misfortunes of the other owner of Stumblebum, who bet $500 on him. That gallant sportsman and tavern owner... Who? Patrick J. Duffy. <laughs> How do you like that? Duffy lost 500 bucks. It is me lucky day after all. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Whistler, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.